0: Okay, everyone. Welcome to episode 16 of the ROSC podcast. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about one very important question that applies to you in your workplace and in your personal life, and that is, who's it for? Now, before we get into that, the usual sort of housekeeping, if you haven't already, do check out the website, which has all the blog posts and the newsletter, www.rosc.life, www.rosc.life. We just recently updated and overhauled the site. I think it looks so much better. There are a few tweaks we need to fix here and there, but otherwise we've got a brand new site. I think we're going to officially announce it to the members in the next newsletter uh, just so we can fix the tweaks until then. But check out the website, sign up for the newsletter if you haven't already. And what you get with the weekly newsletter is a spam-free concise newsletter that consists of three main things. One, a link to this podcast that you can share with others and have convenient access to yourself. Two, a link to the latest blog post as well as the three main insights for that blog post, which give you three actionable items that you can take to work, to life, and put into action If you're not really interested in that moment and delving into the philosophy and the background behind it that's always available for you to check out from the links on the newsletter but if you want something that can impact you immediately not take more than two minutes of your time and actually help you start to chip away at the sculpture that we're ultimately trying to get to you have the weekly newsletter the third thing that it will start to do is it will keep you up to date first and foremost before anybody else about the projects that are upcoming the most Recent, of which we've started to develop, is the Cardiac Arrest Management app that we have coming out. We have yet to develop a proper name for it, and we've got a lot of things packed into this app that we want you all as exclusive members to be able to give feedback on and be considered to be part of the founding team, and hopefully watch this thing grow and potentially change the way we manage cardiac arrests. All of that and more coming in the weekly newsletters which are free, spam-free, Once a week, we will not bother you with anything, but we would absolutely love your support. Now on to the podcast. All right. So I'm trying something a little bit different for this podcast in that I'm recording this one standing up. Can you tell the difference? Let me know. You know what? Actually, let's do this. If you can tell the difference, leave a five-star review for the podcast. If you cannot tell the difference, leave a four-star review. Just so I know how many people can tell and can't tell. That's all. No other reason. Anyway, today we're going to talk about three questions that you should always ask yourself, and these are the three main insights for this specific blog post slash podcast episode. The three main questions are, one, who is it for? Two, what am I trying to achieve? And three, how will my success be measured? So these three questions are something that's benefited me significantly in my life outside of healthcare in terms of any projects, creative projects, entrepreneurial projects, whatever it might be has helped me a lot to refocus myself, to get myself to understand what the mission is, but also it helps me to reorient myself when I get a little bit lost in the weeds or when I lose some drive or when I lose momentum in going in the direction I wanna go. How does this help in the healthcare setting, both for the clinical and the interpersonal situations that we talk about? Well, thinking about resuscitation or cardiac arrest, the questions might actually always be answered the same way. Who is it for? What am I trying to achieve? And how will my success be measured? It's always the same thing. But these questions fall into the category of debriefing. Now, if you debrief regularly, you might actually already be answering these questions. In fact, sometimes our debriefing, our role assignment, all these different things sometimes fall apart simply because of the fact that we get into the habit of, well, we already know what the roles are going to be. We already know what questions we're trying to answer when we debrief, so it becomes conversational. The problem with this, it's a small problem, but it can be a pervasive problem, is that when you don't deliberately ask the questions, you end up sometimes losing track, just like you would in a project like I was mentioning. If you don't ask the questions directly it sometimes can start to disintegrate and you might forget why you're doing that particular debrief or why you're going down this specific mission. So without making it like contrived or fake or stale, try to find a way to incorporate these questions each and every time. Maybe make the questions conversational, but making sure you always check off the boxes without trying to make it, again, without trying to make it too like corporate or dry or things like that. So I'm sure you can answer the questions, who's it for, what am I trying to achieve, or what are we trying to achieve, and how will our success be measured in a cardiac arrest or resuscitation or any type of critical situation. I'm sure many, if not all of you, can answer those questions for yourself in your mind. So, for example, thinking about these questions in a cardiac arrest just to run through it. Well, who's it for? Of course, it's for the patient. What are we trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve ROSC, or if you wanted to get a little bit more specific, you might discover certain information about the patient that might have led to a cardiac arrest or might have led to this person being in shock or whatever it is. And that might tweak that answer a little bit more, but the gist is the same. And how will success be measured? Obviously, in the case of cardiac arrest, it's ROSC. In the case of an arrhythmia, it's controlling the rhythm and all these things. Answering these questions might feel redundant, but they lead to further questions That will then allow you to assign roles, make a sort of algorithm of a plan that you want to go down. It might remind you of certain things that you might not have thought of in terms of intervention and treatment and a plan of action. It might remind you of other people that you need to call or other people you need in the room to be part of the team. Asking these questions changes things significantly. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a really strange example, uh, I recently employed an idea to save money for myself, and that is to create two separate checking accounts. I know this is a very strange example, but bear with me. For a long time, I never did that because I said to myself, there's no point in creating a separate checking account and putting money into that account when I have access to the account. The bigger issue is the discipline. And if I can develop the discipline to keep that money untouched, then I can just leave it in my primary account. What's the difference? I finally decided to do it because it was effortless to do so, and I can't tell you how much of a difference it makes because I took a deliberate action to separate the money. The second part to that is I also keep that account away from my eyes, so out of sight, out of mind, but the point is you take a deliberate action and the action brings about the change. The action brings about the motivation, it brings about the ambition, it brings about more creativity. I know it's a weird example, but hopefully I gave another aspect to the point I'm trying to make that when you take the deliberate step to ask these questions, it leads to a different stream of thought, a stream of consciousness. It goes back to something I mentioned in the past about the first step I take when having an unstable patient is I put my hand on their ankle and that gives me a ton of information, but it also takes all of my wandering thoughts and linearizes them. So how do you use these questions in other situations? The other way in which these three questions can apply in your interpersonal space, in the clinical, non-critical situations, is kind of goes back, it all goes back to empathy. And I know that word pops up again and again, and will probably be the theme of everything we ever do. But that empathy is what leads to the best form of leadership that we can provide for the people around us. So let's get into that a little bit more. The funny thing is. Empathy to me resonates the most when I think of it from a customer service perspective. So for example, let's say you're in customer service, or if you've experienced this from the other direction, you're welcome to think of it that way as well. When you're in customer service, you get a person who makes a complaint or has some grievance or wants to give feedback, and that person might be right in what they think, or they might be completely way off base. At the end of the day, they say the customer's always right. That's not entirely true, but the gist of it, which I think makes people feel better and less resentful than the customer is always right is you understand that that person has a perspective and their perspective is all they have and you also have a certain amount of knowledge and wisdom in what you're dealing customer service for but if you take a moment to understand that they have a situation so you now know who it's for and you think about how you can best achieve a situation where you have, say, met your metrics or you've provided the customer service that you need and you've gotten them to a point of relative satisfaction. You've gotten them off of their their high point of frustration or dissatisfaction or whatever it is. And at that point, when you ask the question of how will the success be measured after what am I trying to achieve... That is an interesting question in that situation because it shuts down your ego almost. Because the, the way ego tends to take over in, in moments like that is when you're only thinking about here and now. You've got tunnel vision and you're not thinking about the outcome. But if you create an end point for yourself, if you create something you're trying to shoot towards, everything starts to align. I have another really weird example And this might not relate to a lot of people, but in race car driving, one of the things that they teach you first is keep your eyes up. You're not looking right ahead of the car, you're looking down the straightaway or while you're going into a turn, you're looking at the exit of the turn. And even when the car starts to slide around and is not going in a straight line, keeping your eyes in the direction you want to go gets the car in that direction. I think it's almost like a proprioception type thing, right? Like it's like a cerebellar thing where your body and your ability to coordinate kind of brings you in line with a specific direction. And so you might skew off that line, but it ultimately brings you back to center. Another, I know, weird analogy, but the point is that when you have something to shoot towards, when you have something you're trying to achieve in this situation, it then starts to maneuver how you respond to that person. And you, by asking yourself how you'll get to that point, it automatically opens up options. Another example that I may have mentioned before in a social media post is there have been times I've come across weird comments on social media, not related to medicine or anything, but you see comments or you see posts that are just like, you think from your perspective, like, why would this person say that? Like, why, what's, what is this person thinking? And then I paused and asked myself the question of how would, what would an empathetic response to this look like? Rather than me typing my thoughts or rather than me thinking what I'm thinking right now, what would an empathetic reaction be to this? And I had this moment clicked in my mind. When you ask yourself that question, it allows you to detach from that. It allows you to create an objective list of options like a multiple choice test. And then you can step back, look at those options and choose the better answer. And even when you think to yourself, that answer is totally not what I would give. It doesn't emotionally resonate with me. Right now, I think this thing is stupid. And it is stupid. But you take, you take a step back and you allow yourself to create options on what to say, what answer to give. And then that give, that pause gives you the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to give the answer that's not emotionally satisfying to me in order to reach that end goal. That's empathy. So when you're in a situation where maybe you're in a confrontation, maybe you're in a disagreement, maybe you're talking to your boss, or maybe you're talking to your employees. Maybe you're talking to your team. Maybe you're talking to your team leader. If you keep in mind who and what is this for, what am I trying to achieve and how will success be measured? You can then allow yourself more quickly than you realize to process that information and come up with a list, or an algorithm of options, answers, responses that is more likely to get you to your end goal. And when you actually execute on that, when you deploy those answers, you will feel something in yourself. Well, you'll feel multiple things. Number one, you'll feel proud of the fact that you took your ego and put it aside, and you gave a human answer, and you gave an objective answer that allowed you to practice being empathetic, because if you do something enough times, you become that thing. If you go out running every day, eventually you are a runner. If you employ empathy over and over again, eventually you are empathetic. That's simply how it happens. Action leads to an identity. Way more often than changing your identity will lead to a change in action. So the first thing you'll notice in yourself when you do that is you'll feel good about the fact that you conquered your ego. Once you feel good about something in yourself, it makes it easier for you to feel good about other things. And it makes you not want to, in that moment, think about the negative things. And the second thing you'll feel good about is the fact that you took the action that will make a slight change. Nothing is gonna go viral, nothing's gonna be the thing that changes everything overnight. But chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, it allows other people to take notice, it allows you to take notice in yourself, and it allows you to feel, selfishly, how good it is to employ those tactics of empathy and understanding the other person. and taking the option to make the situation better, even though that other person has no intention of making things good for you, they are completely self-serving, doesn't make a difference because you're laying down the foundation. And here's the thing also, if you understand that and that resonates with you enough and you go down the path of trying to lay down that foundation, which you'll fail sometimes and you'll succeed sometimes, but as you do it more and more, more successes will happen than failures and it'll take form. The person who you have the option to talk back to or flash your ego at them and you choose not to, that person might never, ever, ever change. That person might continue to stay on the old way, on the status quo, but everybody around you might change. And even if they don't change, they will always come to you knowing that they have that reservoir of empathy, that reservoir of optimism, that reservoir of leadership to benefit from, and the beauty of it is you won't feel like they're taking from you because it's giving you just as much as you're giving to them. The last thing about these questions that I think is monumentally important is what it does to feedback and criticism. When you get feedback and criticism, let's say you have a business, let's say you sell a book on Amazon and you look at the reviews, let's say you Google yourself and look at the reviews on some hospital review website, which we've all done, and we've all seen the stupidest comments. But let's say you're in a situation like that. Ask yourself again, when you see that comment, who is this for? What I'm doing? What this review is? What is it trying to achieve? And how can the success of that feedback be measured? What ends up happening more often than not Is You'll realize that the comments that you receive, the feedback, the criticism, says more about the person making the comment than it does about you. But what it also does is it allows you to put up a screen, and it allows you to take what's being said, evaluate it, filter out the things that clearly aren't relevant, and then it allows you to sort of have a window between you and that thing. And it allows you to turn it around, take a look at it, examine it, and extract the truth from it. That takes a lot of self-strength, but again, if you tell yourself, well, who is this for? What am I doing this for? What am I evaluating this piece of information, this feedback for? When you ask that question, you will start to think to yourself, well, I'm looking at this thing and evaluating it to see how I can improve myself. What will come out of me improving myself? How good will I feel about myself for a longer period of time relative to how good will I feel about myself if I shut this thing down and soothe myself and say, no, 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 that's not true. And the blah, blah, blah. You're just gonna stay the way you are. But there's a possibility that there's a nugget of gold in that thing that you've been told, in that piece of feedback, in that piece of criticism. Or you might look at it and be like, this is completely irrelevant. It's completely, it has nothing to do with me. And you can put it to the side and you can focus on the other comments that are coming through. So you see that these questions, these three questions are the crux of pretty much every aspect of self-improvement, and every aspect of team improvement, and every aspect of leadership. And leaders eat last. So these questions you would think are part of a performance evaluation when you give to someone who's on your team. But whenever you're the leader in anything, the performance evaluation is first towards you, because you work for your team just as much, if not more, than your team works for you. And as we leave this podcast episode today, again, just want to remind you, if you're getting any value of this, there's two things that would benefit us immensely. One, leaving a review just from the stars or if you want to leave an actual comment, leave a review, it helps us tremendously and it moves our podcast up the list of recommended podcasts. And the second is sharing this with someone who you think would benefit. Just sending them a link to one of the podcasts is all you have to do. Whatever, whatever story of benefit you get from this, this is all for you and by you, right? I can tell you what our mission is, but ultimately, the story that you get from this, the feeling you get from this, is what matters more to anybody else. That's the biggest form of advertising. It's the biggest benefit that we can get in terms of organically growing and helping more people out there. So please, you share it. And once again, if you haven't already, www.rosc.life. Go to the website, sign up for the newsletter, stay up to date with what we're doing and stay up to date with the weekly insights that we publish that can hopefully maybe change the course of your career, your path to curing burnout for yourself and for others, your path up the leadership ladder, becoming a better leader, becoming a better team member and maybe finding your role in the healthcare world, in the world at large. Sign up. It's free, spam free, once a week, super concise. Please do it. Love you long time.